Today on The Matt Wall Show, a new study shows that Americans are more depressed than ever. We talk a lot about mental health in our culture, but the problem only gets worse. So what's really going on here? We'll discuss. Also, Harry and Meghan try out their own Jesse Smollett hoax. A new drug that turns people into zombies with rotting flesh is spreading through our cities. And a special needs student tells her story of being harassed and punished for not respecting her teacher's pronouns. And our daily cancellation, Caitlyn Jenner, has tried to position himself as the voice of reason on the gender issue. But is his view actually reasonable? Not at all. We'll talk about all that and much more today on The Matt Walsh Show. Do you know what big tech and big government have in common? Well, they both want to silence any disagreeing voices into submission. To fight back against having your voice censored, I recommend ExpressVPN. The problem with big tech is that not only do they attempt to censor you, but they also track what you do online. Uh, what you're searching for, the videos you watch, everything you click. When I use ExpressVPN, my identity is anonymized by a secure VPN server. Plus, ExpressVPN encrypts 100% of my internet data for protection from hackers and eavesdroppers. ExpressVPN is by far the best VPN that I've ever tried. It's VPN that's been rated number one by CNET, Business Insider, and countless other uh, tech publications. There's a reason for that that you'll discover if you use it yourself. What I love most about ExpressVPN is that it couldn't be easier to use. The app has one button, you tap it, and that's it. You're protected. It really is that simple. So stop letting big tech and big government censor and track you. Defend your rights and protect yourself at expressvpn.com slash Walsh right now to get three extra months free. That's expressvpn.com slash Walsh to get protected now. Expressvpn.com slash Walsh. We're often told that we need to have more conversations about mental health in America. This is a point of consensus, really, across both the left and the right. Everybody on all sides agrees that mental health is a serious issue and we need to talk more about it. And we do talk about it. We talk about uh, mental health. We talk about talking about mental health. We talk about the ways that we should talk about mental health when we do talk about mental health. We say a lot of things about mental health. Um, we talk about our own mental health. We talk to each other and to our friends and to our therapists. In fact, there have never been more people talking about this subject and talking to therapists about their own uh, mental health. According to a poll released a few weeks ago, the number of Americans who are seeking mental health treatment and counseling has doubled over the past 20 years. In 2004, it was only about 13% of Americans that said that they had visited a therapist or counselor or psychiatrist over the past year. And now that number is close to a quarter of all American adults, and it's rising fast. But we aren't just talking. We're also taking drugs. Lots and lots of drugs. Antidepressant usage has also increased precipitously over the past couple of decades. And right now, uh, last I checked, around 65 million Americans had been prescribed at least one psychiatric drug uh, a few years before that. You know, a few years ago, the number was about 40 million. So these numbers are also increasing rapidly, which means that Americans aren't just talking about their mental health problems. They're trying to medicate those problems away. And yet, despite all of this talking and all of this medicating, mental health has only gotten worse. So here's the latest from Gallup. This was reported uh, just yesterday by CNN. Quote, depression is more widespread than ever in the United States, according to a new report from Gallup. About 18% of adults, more than one in six, say that they are depressed or received treatment for depression, a jump of more than seven percentage points since 2015, when Gallup first started polling on the topic. Nearly three in 10 adults have been clinically diagnosed with depression at some point in their lifetime, according to the survey, which is also a record high. According to the Gallup poll, young adults reported higher rates of depression than any other age group. And the greatest increase in recent years, nearly a quarter of adults under 30 say that they're currently depressed. Lifetime rates of clinical depression are significantly higher among women, with rates rising twice as fast as in men. More than a third of women say that they've been diagnosed with depression at some point in their life, compared with about a fifth of men, according to the survey. 
Also, for the first time, lifetime rates of clinical depression among black and Hispanic adults matched or surpassed the rate among white adults. Well, there's the racial equity we're looking for, at least. It's not all bad news. In fact, this isn't really news at all. Um, every few months, it seems, there's another study or survey showing that Americans are increasingly depressed and anxious and lonely. I think we all kind of get the point by now. We all understand that. And the important question is why? Okay, why are we such a depressed, anxious, lonely culture? And the next most important question, once you've answered those, is uh, what can we do about it? This is where most commentary on the subject seems to fail. The media will publish the study results. They'll do TV segments about it. They'll bring in a TV doctor to opine for a few minutes about uh, the fact that everyone's depressed. And that'll be it. There's never any serious attempt to grapple with the why. Like, why is this happening? What is going on? Case in point, here's Good Morning America yesterday morning talking about this Gallup poll and bringing in their own expert, their chief medical correspondent, Dr. Jen Ashton. And here's what she had to say. As you guys know now, the key after you find a number like this is, what do you do about it? Right, exactly. That's the question. What do you do about it? Well, I think the first thing is awareness, um, not only in the healthcare field, but, you know, asking patients about it. But we should ask ourselves. We should be doing, as I like to say, a checkup from the neck up, just as we do with our physical health. Mm -hmm. And then we have to change our approach uh, to mental health and wellness and not only jump in when there's an issue or when we're struggling, but prevention. And that, I think, I think we're starting to get on the right path with that. But we have a, a, long, a long road. Uh, okay, well, thank you, doctor. We, we need to be aware. Um, I think we basically have that step covered. We need, we, everyone needs to be aware, raise awareness. Um, and then we need to prevent. And how do we prevent depression exactly? Well, uh, by preventing it. You know, the best prevention is prevention. So that's it. Uh, that's what we need to do. Become aware of it and then prevent it. Quite simple, you see. And this is about as deep as the analysis goes, and that hasn't changed either over the past year. Even after, even after the most popular theory of depression, the theory propagated by those TV doctors and especially by the pharmaceutical industry, was blown completely out of the water last year. I mean, for decades, we were told that depression is caused by a chemical imbalance in the brain. Antidepressant drugs were prescribed with the promise of healing or correcting this imbalance. Those 65 million people that have taken these drugs um, it's been on the, uh, and not all of them are antidepressants, but many of them, it's been on the promise that if you take the drug, it's going gonna, it's gonna to correct the imbalance and then everything will be fine. But a major study, if you recall last year, which, which reviewed previous studies on the subject, found that there isn't now and never was any good evidence that this chemical imbalance exists. It was all a myth, a scam that Big Pharma used to peddle its drugs. And yet somehow this revelation has not prompted any introspection on the part of the medical field or so-called mental health experts. Much of what they've said about uh, depression over the past many decades was grounded in falsehood. And yet they've made no serious attempt to grapple with that fact. Their approach and their talking points haven't changed. That's because most of these people are married to a strictly materialist view. That we are nothing but a collection of chemicals. We are an assemblage of cells and everything must be explained, and every problem must be addressed on that level. And when those explanations and solutions fail, they have nothing else to offer. Because if it's not a mere chemical problem to be fixed with more chemicals, then they won't be able to fix it at all. The medical industry has medicalized the entire human condition and now can only address these issues on that level. The result is that they so often miss the point entirely.
So when it comes to the skyrocketing rates of depression, I think that there are, much can be said about it, but there are three major points that are often missed. Three potential causes that don't often factor into these discussions. The first one, and that I think is one of the most obvious ones, but worth mentioning, is that our lives have been taken over by screens. You know, yesterday I saw a chart that somebody posted on Twitter when I was staring at my own screen, showing how the U.S. birth rate has declined by 20% since 2007. And that is a, uh, to, to, to say that's a steep decline is uh, quite an understatement. Really, it, if you look at the chart, it's the birth rate was, was rising, and then you hit 2007 and it just hits, uh, it's like diving off a cliff. Well, guess what else happened in 2007? The first smartphone was released. I don't think that's a coincidence. The proliferation of screens and along with it, pornography, social media, everything else, has impacted every facet of our lives to a degree that we will likely never completely understand. And this has also impacted our quote unquote mental health and certainly not in a good way. People are reporting feeling isolated and lonely and all these things because increasingly we are, because this, our lives revolve around these screens. Second, at a deeper level, we are a culture that has lost its sense of purpose and meaning. Church attendance is declining along with the birth rate, two things that are not unrelated. Uh, religious affiliation is on the decline as agnosticism and atheism ascend. It, it makes sense that depression would rise along with all of this because uh, the godless life is a despairing life. It is a life of pointless suffering and misery. In a world without God, what is there to feel but despair? We are, we are dust, and our existence amounts to nothing and leads to nothing. There's no real beauty or joy or redemption, certainly. We are careening helplessly back into the abyss from which we came. When we die, we will dissolve into the ether, and all we are and all we've done, everything we've done, everyone we've loved, will be nothing. Life itself is nothing. There is no real point to anything. There's no transcendent meaning. So it's not a surprise that a society which increasingly holds this view of life would also experience increasing rates of depression. Now, that isn't to say that religious people can't be depressed, obviously. Clearly, they can. It's just to say that despair and meaninglessness go hand in hand. And as our culture loses the faith that used to serve as its foundation, it also loses meaning. The third factor is that... Um, that certainly is not, is, is almost never discussed, but I think plays into this, is that we, we think about our own feelings obsessively. You know, the doctor on Good Morning America recommended this as a solution when really it's part of the problem. She recommended we spend more time doing internal assessments of our own mental health and well-being. You know, we need to sit around, we need to spend more time sitting around and thinking about our feelings. But one of our problems is that we already spend way too much time assessing those things. We are constantly asking ourselves how we feel and how we feel about how we feel and how we feel about our feelings about our feelings. It becomes this kind of infinite regression. We can't get out of our own heads. We're circling the drain of our own ego. Um, there are different ways to live, and this is a very this is a very modern and unique way of living. I mean, this, it's hard for us to understand that because it's all we've ever known. But it is a very modern phenomenon to have people walking around constantly thinking about their own feelings and assessing their own feelings. When we visited the uh, Maasai tribe in Kenya for What is a Woman, I remember, I think I've mentioned this before, asking one of the tribe's women if she was happy with her life. Uh, because 
you know, from a certain perspective, when you look around at people that are living in mud huts and they don't have uh, electricity, they don't have anything, and they, they barely have furniture, and it's just there's flies everywhere, and it's hot, and it's, you know, and pretty grimy. And you, you look at that, and you think, well, I wouldn't be happy living like this. So I was curious, and I asked her if she's happy, and, and she said that she was happy because she, she has a husband and, and children, and so she's happy. And I asked her if she ever experienced depression, even in spite of having a husband and children, and she said, no, we don't have that here. And everyone else seemed to agree that they don't have depression in their tribe. It doesn't exist. That's a, that's a Western thing, they seem to think. Now, of course, that doesn't mean that they live lives of perfect bliss. In fact, their lives are quite a bit harder and more brutal by most measures and not a life that I would want to live. But when she claimed that they don't have depression, I think what she was trying to say is that they don't spend time thinking about their own feelings. They don't they just, they don't think about those things as much. They're absorbed in their duties and their responsibilities. And if they're doing what they're meant to do, and they're filling their role in their families and in their society, then they're happy. Those, those two things are inextricably linked in their minds. And this is how most people across the world lived historically until modern times. If you go ask your great-grandfather, um, if you go back in time to your great-grandfather, your great-great-grandfather, and ask him if he's happy, he would probably respond by, in a very similar way to how the Maasai tribe responds, by saying something about the things that he does. Like, well, oh yeah, I have a family and I provide for my family. Of course I'm happy. What do you mean am I happy? Because this is how most people live. You're absorbed in the things that you do rather than being absorbed in your own mind. It's like putting your duties and your responsibilities and actions first and then feelings follow Instead of having putting feelings first, and we got we got to feel right, we have to feel the right way, and then we can start acting. This is something we might we might want to think about as we continue to have our national conversation about mental health, uh, a conversation that tends to go nowhere most of the time, but it doesn't have to be that way. Now let's get to our five headlines. Everyone deserves the best of everything, including the best night's sleep. My friends at Cozy Earth are here to give you super soft, luxurious, and designer-preferred bedding. Whether you're looking to treat yourself or someone that you love, Cozy Earth has a gift guide that can help you start looking for the perfect gift right now. Cozy Earth's luxury bedding and loungewear transforms lives by offering the world's softest, most luxurious, and responsibly sourced bedding. Their products are temperature-regulated moisture wicking, and uh, they keep you comfortable all night long. Right now, Cozy Earth is extending their Mother's Day sale for a limited time. While their site is offering a discount, my listeners will still be getting up to 35% off when you use promo code Walsh at checkout. I've uh, used Cozy Earth. In fact, we, this, is, this is the bedding that we have on our bed right now. Can't recommend it enough. Don't just take my word for it, though. They have over 5,000 happy customer reviews on their site. Not only do they offer a 100-night guarantee on their sheets, but their sheets get softer and softer with every wash. So what are you waiting for? Invest today in a good night's sleep. When you sleep well, your life goes well. Cozy Earth is extending their Mother's Day sale. Save up to 35% off with my promo code Walsh at CozyEarth.com. That's promo code Walsh at checkout for up to 35% off your order at CozyEarth.com. All right, this is a story that I uh, that has mostly passed me by. I haven't really paid close attention to it, um, as important as it obviously is. So I'm kind of learning about it as we read, and uh, maybe you're learning about it as well. Here's the latest from Deadline. Uh, Prince Harry, Meghan Markle, and Markle's mother, Doria Ragland, were involved in a near-catastrophic car chase. Near-catastrophic. 
involving paparazzi photographers last night, according to a spokesperson for the Prince. We're told the trio did not go to the hospital and that they're doing okay. Well, that's good. It's very worried. The incident has been reported by Reuters and Sky News and, the, and, uh, and allegedly happened after Harry and wife Markle attended an award ceremony in New York on Tuesday during which Markle received a Woman of Vision Award. What is her vision exactly? That, that's, that's the real news here. A Woman of Vision Award? Um, where is there evidence that Meghan Markle has a vision that extends beyond her reflection in the bathroom mirror? That's the only vision I think she's thinking about. In a statement from the prince's representative, it says, Last night, the Duke and Duchess of Sussex and Miss Raglan were involved in a near-catastrophic car chase at the hands of a ring of highly aggressive paparazzi. This relentless pursuit, lasting over two hours, resulted in multiple near-collisions involving other drivers on the road, pedestrians, and two NYPD officers. While being a public figure comes with a level of interest from the public, it should never come at the cost of anyone's safety. The incident, which comes just over a week after... Um, Harry attended his father, King Charles's coronation in London, has horrible shades of the way in which Harry's mother, Princess Diana, died in the late 1990s in Paris. Some media blame the erratic behavior of the paparazzi um, as the cause of the fatal crash. And so it's almost as if it, it happened again, we're told, with this high-speed car chase in New York City. Now, um, when I just first reaction reading up on this story, a, a number of problems immediately arise. The first one is, what do you mean near catastrophic? Okay. What you're saying is nothing happened. There was no collision. But you're saying it was, it was nearly a catastrophic. How could it be? It's one thing to say, I almost got into an accident. But you're, it was not only did I almost get into an accident, but it was almost catastrophic. So nothing happened. It's like you've got nothing and then you have catastrophe. And you've skipped over all the things in between. And gone right to, it was almost a catastrophe. So that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And then also, how would that work exactly? You know, I've spent more time in New York City than uh, I, I have ever wanted to spend. And one of the many things about New York City that's just god-awful is the traffic. And the fact that, you know, if you have to go somewhere and it's a, a mile and a half away... And usually you would think, oh, it's a mile and a half. I'll get in the car, you know, five minutes ahead of time. I'll be there on time. No, mile and a half is going to take you about six and a half hours. So with, with traffic that jammed up, how could there be a high-speed chase, and especially one that lasts for two hours? This would have to be, I mean, we're talking about Fast and Furious type of thing. Like, this, is a, this is an action movie. To be, I guess there's a way to do it. There's a way to engage in a high-speed chase, but you have to be, you have to be like a professional stunt driver in order to find, uh, to weave your way in and out of New York traffic. So it sounds like a little bit of an odd story. Um, in fact, it sounds completely unbelievable. And then all the updates start coming in uh, with other people who were around this and saw this, and, and pretty much all of them are saying, no, that's, uh, it, was, it was totally fine. The, they, were, they were in a cab for part of this high-speed chase, and the cab drivers come out and said, no, it was, it was basically normal. It was fine. It was, everything was fine. Um, Daily Wire has an update from the New York Police Department. So the New York Police Department responded on Wednesday to reports that Prince Harry's wife, Meghan Markle, and her mother, Dory Raglan, were involved in a near-catastrophic car chase. Uh, NYPD Deputy Commissioner Public Information Officer Wa uh, Julian Phillips issued a statement to the Daily Wire confirming 
that the Duke and Duchess of Sussex were escorted by officers while in the city, but said that there were no collisions or injuries involved in their transport. Uh, said, quote, on Tuesday evening, May 16th, the NYPD assisted the private security team protecting the Duke and Duchess of Sussex. There were numerous photographers that made their transport challenging. The Duke and Duchess of Sussex arrived at the destination and there were no reported collisions, summonses, injuries, or arrests in that regard. Um, and other witnesses have said, including uh, uh, the mayor of New York has come out and said that it's, it's, hard to, it's hard to believe that that would have happened. Again, anyone who's familiar with New York City knows that there's no, there are no two-hour high-speed car chases happening in the middle of New York City. Um, so this is a, a story that they invented, not the first time that they've invented a story, but it is, it is, it's really extraordinary that they feel the need to stoop to this level. I mean, this is, uh, this is full-on Jesse Smollett. This is basically a Jesse Smollett moment. And what makes it Jesse Smollett is it's not so much the, the thing that they're claiming. It's, it's a different sort of thing. And as far as I know, they're not claiming that the paparazzi had MAGA hats and were chasing them down and saying, this is MAGA country. So they're not saying that, but it's similar to Justice Millett in just how unbelievable it is. Like, if you're familiar at all with the area, anyone who knew anything about Chicago, if, 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 even if you didn't spend a lot of time there, if you've spent any time in Chicago, you, you immediately knew, as soon as you heard the Justice Millett story, okay, uh, 2 a.m. in the winter in Chicago and you're walking for a sandwich, that doesn't make any sense. Trump supporters in MAGA hats hanging out outside in Chicago at night also doesn't make any sense. Um, and same thing here with this story in New York. It's if you're at all, if you have any common sense at all, and especially if you're familiar with these areas, uh, the story doesn't even begin to hold water. And yet they make up the story anyway because they are, they are so desperate to be victims. And this this psychological pull towards victimhood for Harry and Meghan is uh, overwhelming. They can't. They can't see outside of it. When in, in reality, it's like they, they have really nice, comfortable lives. The kind of lives that most people, most people would kill to have a life like this. Like, you know, you're rich. You don't have to do anything. You can just, you, like your whole job is just to be famous and rich. You live in a beautiful house, all these things. And, and you, would, you would think, well, why can't you just accept that? Why can't accept the fact that you have a nice, easy, comfortable life? Why can't you accept that? Stop denying it. Ex- acceptance is the only path to happiness here. This is true for anyone. You know, if you want to be happy in life, you have to, it has to begin with acceptance. You have to accept, you have to, uh, uh, you know, realize where you are in life and accept reality for what it is. But for a lot of people, they struggle to accept reality for what it is because sometimes the reality can be is quite painful. You know, it's like if you just got diagnosed with a terminal illness or something. And well, it doesn't mean that you can't have happiness, but it has to begin by accepting. You have to accept the fact that that happened and not try to hide from it. Um, and it makes sense that it'd be difficult to accept things that are hard. But for Harry and Meghan, they, they have difficulty accepting the good stuff, that you have a, a good life and a comfortable, luxurious life. 
But a lot of this is also cultural, and we know that in our culture, um, prestige and power comes from victimhood. And prestige and power is what they both crave most of all, especially Megan. And she knows that she can't really have it without also being a victim, and so she will try anything to attain that victimhood status. All right, Chris Rufo posted this to Twitter. As a, 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 this is his caption. A psychiatrist working with Texas Children's Hospital Child Sex Change Program explains how he circumvents parental rights concerns by telling families that if they do not affirm their child's preferred name and pronoun, they will increase the risk of suicide. Uh, let's watch the video. So really the mother asked me, you know, what about my parental rights, my rights as a parent? You know, really asking me, can you call my child their uh, preferred name and pronouns, okay? So, and I, I had a student with me, um, and I said, you know, ma'am, you, you do have many parental rights, um, but I have to adhere to my own ethical standards as a physician, and I know the best thing to do for this child, their mental health, and really even their, their risk of suicide is to provide, is, is to show them that respect of using the pronouns they go by, using the name they go by. Um, and I'm often kind of working with families in the sense that, you know, I, I'm not here to kind of question your entire worldview or belief system, but to work with you as a consultant, I can tell you both from experience and from the research, um, your child is less likely to both attempt and die by suicide if we use uh, a support, supportive terminology with them and an open open mind. Um, and they're much less likely to have uh, morbidity from anxiety, depression, and a number of other psychiatric issues if we use this affirming model. Well, as you know, if you've uh, watched this show at all, you, you know that everything you just heard there is uh, totally false, completely fraudulent. There is no evidence for it whatsoever. And all the evidence runs the other way because, of course, the evidence runs the other way because, of course, you cannot, um, you're not going to increase someone's well-being, whether their physical or mental well-being, by mutilating and drugging and castrating them. And taking away things, taking things away from them that they don't even understand. So, for example, you put a child on cross-sex hormones, you are sterilizing that child and that means that the child, uh, as he becomes an adult, is never going to be able to have children of his own. And he's sacrificing that without understanding what he's sacrificing. I mean, you can tell him, if the children are even told that this has the effect of sterilizing. But, but if you did, if you told a 14-year-old, uh, we're, we're giving you these uh, drugs and it's going to sterilize you, never be able to have kids of your own. Yeah, a 14-year-old will say, well, that's fine. I don't want to have kids. But he's 14. He's not going to feel that way 10 years from now, 15 years from now. So decisions are being made that the adult version of that child will have to live with forever. And the child version might agree to it as a child when children are not psychologically capable of actually consenting, but the adult version does not. Um, so, of course, when you do that, you're, you're not going to stave off depression, suicide. You're, go you're just going to... Uh, um, you're going to create more opportunities for it. And that's exactly what happens. So we know that they use this, that they use this method, but um, this kind of emotional blackmail, we've seen it many times. 
But that doesn't make it any less horrific every time we see it. And it, and it, and it goes to show that, you know, this is why the parental rights aspect of this issue is very important. But it is far from the be-all and end-all. So we don't want to get too hung up on just focusing on parental rights. Um, yes, if a child is being transitioned without the parent's knowledge and approval, that is a horrible thing and uh, an egregious injustice against both the parent and the child. But, but if you have parental consent, that doesn't suddenly make it okay. And we know that there are many parents that will go along with it because they are abusive and deranged people themselves. But then there's this other category of parents who, yeah, um, they, they agree to it, but under great duress, okay? They, it's essentially at gunpoint that they agree to it. And worst of all, the gun is not being pointed at them. The gun's being pointed at their child. And they are told... That, hey, you know, you, you have parental rights. You could say no to this. But if you do, the child's going to kill himself. And it's going to be your fault. Most parents, when they hear that, it, it, especially if they go in and they're not prepared for this kind of uh, psychological manipulation, if they're not prepared for it, they don't know what's going to happen, it, it knocks them off their feet. And, they, and it backs them against the wall. They don't know what to do. And now they're terrified. Of course, the, the worst you know, a child committing suicide for a parent is the ultimate worst nightmare. It's the worst. It is the worst thing that can happen to a, a person um, to have a child who commits suicide. It, it does not get any worse than that. And they are taking that worst possible thing and throwing it at these parents. Parents who are already uh, in great distress and are confused and are, you know, they don't know what to do. Um and this is what they do. So they're, they're going to respect the parental rights, but they're also going to manipulate the results by using these emotional blackmail techniques. All right, here's a, another update to a story. Fox News has this um, about Jordan Neely. I'll just read a little bit of this. A retiree who witnessed Marine veteran Daniel Penny fatally choke an erratic homeless man on a train earlier this month called him a hero, and slammed Manhattan District Attorney Alvin Bragg for prosecuting him. He's a hero, said the pastor, who has lived in New York City for more than 50 years. The witness, who described herself as a woman of color, said it was wrong for Bragg to charge Penny with second-degree manslaughter. Uh, it was self-defense, and I believe in my heart that he saved a lot of people that day that could have gotten hurt, she told Fox News Digital. Uh, Jordan Neely, 30, who suffered from mental illness, stormed onto the northbound F train at around 2.30 p.m. on May 1st, screaming and threatening passengers. Um, the woman recalled, quote, I'm sitting on a train reading my book and all of a sudden I hear someone spewing this rhetoric. He said, I don't care if I have to kill. I will. I'll go to jail. I'll take a bullet, recalled the woman who is in her 60s. The terrified pastors crowded towards the exit doors. Quote, I'm looking at where we are in the tube in the sardine can and I'm like, okay, we're in between stations. There's nowhere we, we can go. The people on that train, we were scared. We were scared for our lives. Penny stepped in uh, when Neely started using the word kill and bullet. The woman added, quote, why in the world would you take a bullet? Why? You don't take a bullet because you've snatched something from somebody's hand. You take a bullet for violence. 
The witness said it was clear to her that Penny waited until the last minute to intervene for the sake of his fellow passengers. Um, and this is just the latest passenger to come out um, with a story like this. And as far as I know, there hasn't been anyone on the other side who actually witnessed this. As far as I know, there hasn't been any, any uh, uh, passenger who was on the train when it happened who's come out and said, oh, no, I think it's terrible what Daniel Penny did. That was totally unjustified. It was, this, was a, this was an unhoused street performer. He was performing Michael Jackson dance moves, and he was murdered. Now, it appears that uh, all the people on the train, including, in, in, including not just the ones who've sp spoken to the media, but the people that the NYPD interviewed immediately after this, they all had the same story, which is why they let Daniel Penny go initially and didn't charge him with anything. Because everybody on the train, the people that were actually there, telling the same story. This guy was erratic. He was making threats. We're stuck in a, in a sardine can, as she says. Where there's nowhere to go. We're stuck with this guy. He's saying he's willing to kill. He doesn't care if he goes to jail. Like That only means one thing. And um, Daniel Penny stepped up and did what he, what he felt he had to do for, for you know. And, and, and by the way, this wasn't even for, it's not even for his own sake. Yeah, this was also self-defense because he was there. But as a young man, you know, if this guy, if, if, uh, if Jordan Neely really went off the handle and started assaulting people, um, Daniel Penny probably wasn't going to be the one most at risk. It's going to be those older women, you know, and, and uh, other people on the train who are more physically vulnerable. So really, he stepped up primarily not for himself, but for other people. And uh, that's why they want to crucify him for it. So we can't allow that. And we can't allow people in a community to actually watch out for each other, look out for each other. We don't, we don't want that. Uh, all right, I've had this clip for a few days that I wanted to play for you. This is, um, let's see if I can pull it up. A special needs student at a California high school was allegedly called a bigot by her teachers for mistakenly not using preferred pronouns and objecting to participating in a lesson about scissoring, quote unquote, and refusing to get undressed near male teachers. So this is a... Um, it's kind of a long clip. We'll play a little bit of it, at least. But this is at a California high school. It's a special needs student, you know, a girl, um, talking about how she has been penalized and punished um, for not wanting to get undressed around men and not wanting to, and, and not even it's not even not wanting to participate in the preferred pronoun thing, but also not not understanding it. Um, Let's listen to her testimony. I got in trouble one time for um, calling this girl, Penny, a girl. I said, well, she, Penny and I, I used the word she when I was using my assignment because we were working together. Um, I was also in the girl's locker room. I don't like to dress that at all. and. Uh, that's not okay. Um, well, I got in trouble for it because I did not dress out in front of other people. I didn't dress out for many reasons. One, there's male teachers inside of the girls' locker room talking to my, um, Miss Lewis. They go to the same, they, the 
good old locker room and then there's Miss Lewis' office. Miss Lewis has her door open and then there's male teachers inside of the, the, her office. Um, I never wanted to see that. Um, that's why I don't dress out to PE. Um, I, I was scared, I was terrified, and then, um, that I was afraid of somebody staring at me, a male, an adult male, staring at me while I'm changing. That's why I don't change. And then, um, it was another issue. I am in the special day classes and I have a one-on-one -on -one aide. My one-on-one -on -one aide was Cameron, but they called him Cam. I asked it, I guess I was mistaken or corrected by calling Cameron Miss Cam. My parents had always taught me that adult a male is Mr. and their last name or their first name. Female is Miss or Mrs. if they're married and of their first name or their last name. Um, with Cameron, I called him, yeah, I called him Miss Cameron because I saw the breath. I'm not saying that I can see what, what their private parts are because that would be kind of weird. I saw breath. I called him Miss Cameron. Um, many times, more than one time, I have been uh, ignored by my own teachers because I called them by the wrong pronoun. Um, this, this, this just makes me so angry. Um, how, how can it not, you know? Imagine watching that video and being on and, and not being on that girl's side, you know, being on the other side of this. Like, you have to be total, you have to be soulless. It's like you, you don't have a soul. Um, and this is, this is a, what, one of the things that makes it so infuriating is that she is, like, these this mind games that we're playing with, with people. Yeah, this is a special needs student, but really any, any, any kid. It's like we're playing these mind games with them. Where she is, is made to think that she's confused and wrong when she's not. She's explaining, my parents taught me. If it's a woman, you say miss. If it's a man, you say mister. That's, that's what I thought. She wasn't trying to make any point. She was just doing what she thought was right and what is actually right. And apparently the teacher ignores her because she didn't, because she's misgendering. So she gets ignored and shunned. So just to review, this is a special needs student who, because she is not, um, cooperating fully with the, uh, with the demands of gender ideology, is ignored in her class by her own teachers, screamed at, and forced to disrobe in front of men. Um, even though she's, um, or, or, or lectured or punished if she doesn't. And this is all, this is all happening. All of this is happening um, for the sake of, you know, the feelings of these other people. This is, this is like, it's a, it's a contest of feelings because we know that the actual facts don't matter. Facts have been thrown out the window and now it becomes a contest of feelings.
And what we hear from the left is that, well, when you've got a teacher who is, a, I guess this is a female teacher who identifies as a man, it makes her feel bad if somebody calls her miss. Uh, a special needs student who feels confused and afraid and all the rest of it, you know, she, she has feelings too, but those feelings don't matter. It's the feelings of the trans-identified person um, take or have, have, or have primacy all the time. All right, here's one other story. I was looking for something a little bit, uh, a little bit lighter, but I didn't find it, so we're stuck with this. Los Angeles officials are trying to spread the, uh, stop the spread of the flesh-eating drug um, Zilazine, I guess is how, X-Y-L-I-Z-I-N-E, that's taken over the city. The zombie drug, a uh, veterinary tranquilizer approved in the U.S. for cows and horses, is now flooding the illicit U.S. drug market, with dealers often cutting it with cocaine and heroin. So these are cow tranquilizers that are now have made their way to the city streets. But it's most often used to cut fentanyl, the lethally potent synthetic opioid that already kills tens of thousands of Americans every year. The drug has spread to uh, Los Angeles of late with, new, with uh, news crews capturing people hunched over and on the ground, strung out on the drug. The problem, Los Angeles County Sheriff's officials say, is that the drug is technically a legal substance. The county is now desperately trying to track its presence throughout the city. The DEA and the county's health department have both um, issued urgent warnings against the use of the drug. Quote, when combined with opioids like fentanyl, as it is frequently the case, uh, it enhances the life-threatening effects of respiratory depression, slowing or stopping of breathing, caused by opioids, increasing the risk of overdose and death. Tracking the drug officials say will allow them to get a sense of just how bad the problem is and the best practices to cut it out. Nurses have described the wounds caused by this drug as appearing as though something is eating away at your flesh from the inside out. That's, that's where it gets the name uh, zombie drug. A zombie drug because it gives people the appearance of having their, like their flesh is rotting away like a zombie, and also because it turns them into zombies wandering around. Um, and this is yet another reason why um, we should really be talking about much more severe penalties for the people who are responsible for putting these kinds of drugs out in the market. Okay. The people that are actually selling this stuff, the people that are, that are responsible for turning our cities into zombified wastelands, uh, we should be discussing much more severe penalties for them. And when I say much more severe, I mean the most severe penalties, uh, the death penalty. You know, I, I, th- I think eventually... Eventually, I think many conservatives will come around to, to, to acknowledging that this at least should be a conversation. It certainly isn't something we should recoil from, uh, you know, just as if it's an insane idea. You know, when I, when I brought this up a few months ago, I took a lot of heat even from conservatives. who They didn't just disagree with executing drug dealers. They thought it was a, it's like a crazy idea. It's like we shouldn't even entertain the notion I mean, all you have to do is look at the effects of these drugs. This is, it's, it's, it is a form of murder. You're giving these drugs. So the fact that they want it doesn't make it any different, doesn't make it better. Um, you are killing people en masse, and the distributors of these drugs are mass murderers. There's no, there's no question about that. And they should face uh, the penalties prescribed for people like that. All right, let's get to the comment section.
The first step in growing up and being a real man is getting off your parents' phone plan. One of the first steps, anyway. There's other things, too. But getting your own cell phone plan gives you a sense of independence and responsibility. It's a step towards becoming more self-sufficient. By paying for your own finances, you'll learn how to budget and manage your money. There are a ton of cell phone providers out there. Unfortunately, most of them want to lock you into horrific contracts that will tack on hidden fees at any chance they get. That's why I'm a huge fan of Pure Talk. There are no contracts, no hassle. You can cancel at any time. Pure Talk is also giving you a free 5G Samsung Galaxy phone when you sign up for uh, the $55 per month unlimited plan plus hotspot today. They use the exact same uh, networks as major carriers, so you get the same coverage that you're used to but it's just a much better service and a lot cheaper too. Switching over to Pure Talk is so easy. You can make the switch, uh, keep your cell phone number and keep your phone number, and you can do all of this in as little as 10 minutes with their US-based customer service team. Pure Talk is so sure that you're gonna love your service. They're backing up with a 100% money back guarantee. So go to puretalk.com, enter promo code Walsh to save 50% off their first month with Pure Talk. That's puretalk.com, promo code Walsh. Pure Talk is simply smarter wireless. Jess says, my father, who's a boomer, has been telling me his generation ruined the country for years. He's disgusted by what we're dealing with now. Um, But it's good to know that there are some uh, boomers, some people in that generation who are willing to admit the failures of that generation. I I mean, the the blame game only goes so far. And uh, there's not a lot that comes of it where we're just pointing fingers back and forth. Um, But a little bit of introspection would be nice. And the thing that, and it's good that your dad can engage in that. Um, because what, what, what makes it so frustrating is that very often people in the boomer generation will, um, quite enjoy pointing fingers at the younger generations and blaming them and talking about how terrible they are. Uh, and yet there, there doesn't seem to be any moment of pausing where they go, wait a second, where did that, where did they come from? Oh, those are our kids that are acting that way. Um, it's almost like they're asking, oh, there's these damn millennials who raised them. Uh, well, you did, you raised them. But then the problem is that once you get into the generational blame game, then it's sort of like, uh, well, where, where does it end? It doesn't really end because then we can say, well, the baby boomers, they caused all the problems. Um, they, they were a much worse generation, the generation that came before them. Well, then what about the generation that raised them? Uh, what about the generation that raised the kids who started the sexual revolution? You know, so it just becomes what we discover is that we are a fallen race of beings and um, none are perfect. But it does it, it is it is helpful anyway to to maybe identify certain unique ways that different generations have royally screwed things up. And there are several ways that uh, the boomers have done that. Uh, Photobombing cow says character is built from the raw material. Photobombing cow. Character is built from the raw material of suffering. Boomers did less of it than any generation in U.S. history. And then we endlessly hovered over our kids and turned millions of them into hothouse flowers as well. Uh, Turtleski says just as a random anecdote regarding time wasting in school, I remember the first time I told my parents I was going to skip school, it was because we were having a field trip to the movies. My parents, bless their heart, agreed to let me skip, and I instead went fishing with my dad. Yeah, many, many different ways that time is wasted in school. I mean, a field trip to the movies. I wish that, uh, you know, we took field trips to, like, the post office and that sort of thing when I went, when I went to school. Field trip to the movies would have been a lot of fun. Although we did, as mentioned yesterday, we, we, didn't, we didn't take field trips to the movies, but we watched movies in class constantly, I can remember. And uh, at the time, I, I never would have complained about it. I loved it at the time because I didn't want to have to do any schoolwork. 
But one of the things is when 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 you have a, a teacher that decides, oh yeah, you know, we're gonna take this movie and this is a it's gonna be a really good lesson for all you kids to watch this movie. Well, it's like four, 30 to forty five minute period, so you, it, that ends up being almost a whole week. That's like almost an entire week of a movie in this class is what you're dedicated to. Um, and it's not just that. There's just and, and some of it with the time wasting that happens in the public school system, uh, it's not all the fault of teacher, some of it is just baked into the to the pie. Like there's the time spent between periods, you know, between classes, you got to walk in the hallway from there to there. You got lunch, you've got all these different things. Um, so some of it is just the, the fact that you've got hundreds of kids in one building and you're trying to educate them in this kind of uh, factory assembly line style. There's going to be a lot of time wasting already built in. And that's why it is when you when you decide to homeschool, it's really amazing. Like you almost feel guilty at first when you see how little time you actually need to spend in a day with formal instruction. It, it's definitely not six hours. It's like a few hours at most. And if you're if they're if if you're actually teaching during that time and your kids are doing real work and you're educating them, then uh, you're done. It's like sometime around lunchtime, you're done for the day. Um. And then finally, hey, Matt, can you please go into more detail about how abortion to save the mother's life isn't really a thing? I don't doubt that conclusion, but it's hard to find any info about it online. Thank you, SBG for life. Yeah, uh, certainly. So when someone talks about abortion that saves the life of a mother, um, there are a few scenarios, you know, if, if there are a few scenarios they they might have in mind when they talk about that. Um, and in all of these scenarios, it would not be necessary to directly kill the, the child. So I'll just give like one example that, that comes up is, um, okay, what if a woman is pregnant and then she's diagnosed with uh, an aggressive form of cancer and she has to undergo, and she's told by the doctors, you know, you have to undergo cancer treatment. And if you don't, if you wait till the pregnancy is over to undergo cancer treatment, it might be too late. Um, but if you undergo cancer treatment, it 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 could kill the child. You know, these are these are the kinds of things that have that have happened in real life, and, and women have been confronted with these kinds of choices. Um, and so what we what we would be told is that if the woman says, "Okay, I'm going to take the cancer treatment, even though it might have the effect of killing my child," we'll be told that that well, that's an abortion, that's a life saving abortion, but it's not. Okay, that's the principle of double effect. That's, you know, you're doing something with the intent, with, with a good intent, which is to cure, treat the cancer, knowing that it might have this very tragic side effect. But that tra- but it is a side effect. It's not the intention. You're not doing it deliberately. Um, and that is not splitting hairs. That is a very important distinction. So there could be situations like that. And if a woman is, is, is diagnosed with cancer when she's pregnant... Um, that's, you know, I, 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 that's a decision that, that she's going to make about how to handle it. There are, there are women who you hear cases where they decide I'm not going to go for the cancer treatment. Um, and then sometimes they end up, you know, then giving their life life so that their child can live, which is quite heroic. But I think if the woman decides to get the cancer treatment, I would not consider that an abortion. It's not. Abortion is again, directly and intentionally taking the life of a child. Um, and there are many other scenarios that we hear, especially late in pregnancy. We'll hear other kind of medical scenarios where the pregnancy has to end. You know, something has gone catastrophically wrong. 
either with the mother or the baby or both, and the pregnancy has to end. And if they don't end the pregnancy, then the mother will die and potentially the child will die too. So these, these are rare cases, but they do happen. And yet again, in those sorts of situations, that's where we're going to be told that this is why we need abortion. Well, that doesn't work because, you know, late in a pregnancy, you can end the pregnancy without killing the child. You, you deliver the child. Um, will the child be able to survive outside the womb? You certainly hope so. Children can, you know, as low as 22 weeks now, I think, a child can survive outside the womb with the, uh, the, the miracle of, you know, modern medicine. But either way, if you, if you deliver the child with the intent of preserving the child's life, doing everything you can to preserve the child's life, that is not an abortion. An abortion is an extra step. It's, okay, we're going to kill the child first and then deliver the child. Which that doesn't make any sense because the, the, the baby has to be delivered either way. Even if you get an abortion, you still have to, late in pregnancy, there's still going to be a delivery. It's just that now it's a delivery of a dead child. There's no way that that, that extra step of killing the child first before delivering him will somehow, will somehow be necessary to save the mother's life. So that's what it comes down to. It, it may be necessary to, to end a pregnancy, especially later in pregnancy, to preserve the woman's life. But that does not mean that you have to kill the child. You could deliver the child alive and, and do everything you can to preserve the child's life. With Father's Day coming up, I've been thinking about how grateful I am that my father did not become a woman. For all his accomplishments, the greatest might be me, my own life. Without him, I wouldn't be here. And while that might be a strange thing to say, we live in strange times. So we shouldn't take the simplest gifts for granted. Show your appreciation and gratitude for your dad making the bold choice to remain the gender he was assigned at birth with a gift from Jeremy's Razors. And right now, they have a 30% off sale on select bundles and razor starter, starter kits. They're 100% woke-free, and they're unashamed to celebrate masculinity. So this Father's Day, don't just give him any gift. Give him Jeremy's Razors, the gift that says, thank you, Dad, for being and staying a man. Thank you for mansitioning. Come on. Go to jeremysrazors.com today to take 30% off your razors, not 100% off your genitalia. Let's get to the daily cancellation. There are certain people who have, over the years, circled around the daily cancellation, come very close on many occasions to being canceled, yet have never actually been canceled during this segment. But everyone's time must come eventually. And so today, it is finally Caitlyn Jenner's turn. I believe this is the first time he'll be featured on the daily cancellation, but maybe it's not the first. To be honest, I don't really keep track. Either way, Jenner, at the age of 73, has recently been attempting to reinvent himself again. There's been many reinventions of, uh, of Jenner. He was born a man, and still is one, became a legendary Olympian, uh, later in life downgraded to a reality TV star. And then famously, he came out as a woman and was awarded the honor of Woman of the Year and was celebrated for a time as an LGBT icon. But that goodwill from the left dried up rather quickly when Jenner came out sometime later as a Trump supporter and then eventually ran for governor of California as a Republican in a bid that was, of course, doomed to fail from the beginning. Like so many failed Republican candidates before him, Jenner's next move was to become a Fox News contributor, where he um, has now found a new niche, somehow, as a voice of reason on the trans issue. He has now rebranded himself as a fierce defender of women's sports and an opponent of child transition, even though he had taken both sides of these issues in the past. 
He also fashions himself as a, as a MAGA loyalist, hanging out down in Mar-a-Lago and repeating whatever talking points are issued to him. For example, when the Trump camp decided a couple of weeks ago that conservatives shouldn't be boycotting Anheuser-Busch because the company donates to Republicans, Jenner dutifully spoke out against the boycott. Um, now, you might say that most of this is, is relatively harmless. He's just another person in the media struggling desperately to remain relevant. And that might be the case. But there's a reason why outlets like Fox News have embraced Jenner and why some Republicans want him to be our official spokesman on gender issues. And that reason was laid bare yesterday on Twitter when Jenner responded to a leftist who was accusing him of aligning himself with people who, quote, are trying to erase you and deny your right to body and identity autonomy. Jenner responded with this, quote, wrong. There are a few fringe people that say trans isn't real, but that's not the GOP. The GOP and MAGA is the big tent party and believe in common sense principles, no men and women's sports, parental rights, protecting children, etc. Sorry we don't fit your narrative. The left is by far the most exclusionary, discriminatory group of people out there. Fringe people, he says. And by that, of course, he means me and everyone here at The Daily Wire and nearly every conservative who has been fighting against gender ideology in any meaningful way. We are all fringe, says gender, says Jenner, rather, uh, while he represents the mainstream conservative position on the topic. Of course, everyone agrees that trans-identified people exist, so trans is real in the sense that transgenderism exists as a concept, and many people claim it as their identity. But trans is not real in any kind of objective or scientific sense. Trans is not a valid category of being. So I would say trans is not real, and that's what I mean. It's not a valid category. And when, when Bruce Jenner says that trans is real, he's saying that it is a valid category. But you cannot actually be trans, as being trans means existing literally beyond gender. A transgender person claims to transcend the sex binary, but that's not possible. It's not real. It's, it's a false claim. And there is no way to effectively oppose trans ideology and all of its consequences without opposing it fundamentally. You cannot legitimize its fundamental claims while pretending to be an opponent of it at the same time. It doesn't make any sense. This is the needle that Republican establishments, people, uh, to include Jenner, have been trying clumsily to thread. They want to validate transgenderism while still protecting women's sports and shielding kids from medical transitions. But that doesn't make any sense. If transgenderism is valid, then a man who identifies as a woman actually is a woman. And if a man who identifies as a woman is a woman, then he should be able to compete against women in women's sports. The only reason to oppose his intrusion in women's sports, the only way that we can even say it is an intrusion, is if we reject the logic behind transgenderism to begin with, which means that we would be saying trans isn't real. Okay, You say that you're a woman, but that's not real. It's not a real thing. It's just a thing you're saying. It's a perception that you have about yourself that is false. But if trans is real, we have no argument against any of this stuff. If it isn't real, then the fact that it isn't real is our whole argument. Jenner wants to have his trans cake and eat it too. His position is totally unintelligible. I responded to his tweet yesterday and tried to explain that to him. I said, quote, your position is completely unintelligible. You assert the validity of transgenderism. You claim that you're a woman. You accepted the Woman of the Year award, and yet you declare that trans women in women's sports are actually men and don't belong there. It's total incoherence. To this, Jenner responded, quote, I've never claimed to be a biological woman. That would be a factually incorrect. I am trans and biologically male. I'm using my platform to be a voice of reason, an advocate for fairness, a, tra a trans example, 
and not force my thoughts, beliefs, or identity onto anyone. Now, wait a second. He never claimed to be a biological woman? I mean, he literally walked down a red carpet and accepted a Woman of the Year trophy. He goes by she, her pronouns. He dresses like a woman. He identifies as a woman. And yet he's never claimed to be one? How are we supposed to make sense of that? Well, we can only assume that Jenner has um, invented in his head some sort of distinction between a woman and a biological woman. But if, he's a, but if he is a woman, yet not a biological woman, then what kind of woman is he? For that answer, we have to go back to the first interview he did way back in 2015 when he first announced his new identity to the world. Let's watch that again. Are you a woman? Um... Yes, for all intents and purposes, I am a woman. People look at me differently. Uh, they see you as this macho male, but my heart and my soul and everything that I do in life, um, it is part of me. That female side is part of me. That's who I am. I was not genetically born that way. Um, eh, as of now, I have all the male parts and all that kind of stuff. So. In a lot of ways, we're different, okay, um, but we still identify as female. Hmm. Um, is he referring to himself as we in that interview? You know, we, we, we really can't uh, understate uh, what a significant moment this interview was. And the Vanity Fair cover and Woman of the Year, you know, that was a period in time when uh, it was a, a, a seminal moment in American culture and in, in a in all the wrong ways. And transgenderism kind of exploding onto the main, into the mainstream of American culture is, is largely because of this. Okay? Tr transgenderism was not a um, you know, uh, prevalent topic of conversation before Jenner. And my point is that Jenner himself is more than any single person on the planet today is, is responsible for, for what we're witnessing in our culture today with all the, the gender confusion. He has done more than, than, arguably more than any other single individual who currently lives on the planet. And yet now he's embraced as some sort of hero of the other side without ever disowning any of that, by the way. Now, it would be one thing if he, if he uh, apologized for that. And he repudiated it and he rejected it. He said, I was wrong about all that. I wish it never happened. I'm giving back the Woman of the Year Award. I'm not really a woman. I shouldn't have done this. It was a terrible thing. Now, if he were to do that, it'd be quite powerful. But he's not. He stands by all of that. At no point has he, has he confronted it and, and confronted his own role in all of this. And yet he gets the Fox News contributorship and hangs out with all the Republicans and he says, for all intents and purposes, he is a woman. But he says he's not a biological woman. So what does it mean to be a woman for all intents and purposes, and yet not a woman biologically? Would this distinction make sense in any other context? Imagine that I came up to you and said, wow, you know, I just saw an elephant walking down the street. And you said, really? You saw a real elephant? And I responded, well, well, it was an elephant for all intents and purposes. It might not have been a biological elephant, you see, but it, it was an elephant in every other way. Would you be able to make heads or tails of that? In what other context could a thing be something and yet not be that thing at the exact same time? 
This is a sort of mental disconnect that Jenner, Jenner wants us to accept. Indeed, he says that uh, this is the mainstream conservative position. Even though it is, if anything, even more incoherent and less intelligible than the mainstream liberal position on the subject. And this is the real reason why Jenner is propped up by Fox and by the Republican establishment. It's what makes him, in many ways, a far more dangerous figure than Dil Dylan Mulvaney or any other left-wing trans activist. Jenner is the, is the trans Trojan horse whose goal is to get us to ultimately accept gender ideology by embracing what is allegedly a slightly less radical version of it. The goal is to pry us away from the one and only sensible, consistent, truthful position. The position which says, very simply, that there are only men and women in the world. Every man is a biological man. Every woman is a biological woman. Biological is not a qualifier that we can apply to some women and not others. If you are a woman, then you are a biological woman. If you are not a biological woman, then you are not a woman in any sense at all. Not for any intent and not for any purpose. Jenner is a man through and through in every way. And nothing will ever change that. And that is the only position that makes sense. It's the only conservative position. It is the truth that we are trying to conserve. And uh, if it's not a truth that he stands by, then he's not a conservative and we don't need him. And he is also today, finally, for all those reasons, canceled. That'll do it for uh, this portion of the show as we move over to the members block. Hope to see you there. If not, talk to you tomorrow. Godspeed.